The title of the talk this morning is Friends Can Be So Exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Gail and I used to live in Big D, Dallas, Texas. You can see how far we've come. (laughs) And Gail had a friend there. It was the same friend I told you who uh, took her two boys out for a walk in the uh, Texas Badlands and uh, came back and she said, uh, I think we had, we, uh, we came across this snake and for a moment I thought that it was a rattlesnake, but I had the boys bend down and listen and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> So she called Gail, this is a number of years ago, she called Gail and she said, uh, can you go out to uh, lunch this Tuesday? Uh, Gail said, uh, well, I think I, I think I can. Um, yeah, I think I am free Tuesday. She said, well, it would be, uh, wouldn't be till around uh, 2 o'clock. And Gail said, well, that's just fine. And the friend said, well, I'm not sure if I can make it. <laughs> And sure enough, it turned out she couldn't. (laughs) We talked last time about hard work. And I exhorted you to work hard. It's very important to remember, though, that the hard work is letting go of work. The effort is to let go of effort. And even the concepts are to let go of concepts. There's no hard work. There are no concepts. There is no struggle in God. And so perhaps a few of you felt exhorted and uh, motivated. Please don't feel motivated. Remember to row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. And remember, there are four Marilys to every three rows. (laughs) This is very important. So the effort is to be happy and to be gentle and to be peaceful. There is no other effort. And if I say something that raises a question or confuses you, then of course it's just not for you. You may be beyond it. It may be something that it will be be useful to you at a later time, or it may be something that will never be of any particular use to you because of the way it's worded and so forth. So please never carry a question with you from the dispensable church. Dispense with the question. And never carry a question with you after you read in A Course in Miracles. There are no questions in God. There are no questions in happiness or in peace or in love or in two hearts beating as one. All we wish in our journey home is to be happy and to be gentle. And we wish to use our mind 
which is a part of God, which is a part of love, which is a gift, which has an inherent quality. It has a natural state. Your mind, untampered with, returns to peace. Your mind is naturally happy. When you allow, when you leave your mind alone, it becomes more restful and gentler and happier because that is the fabric from which it is made. It is made of peace. It is made of love. Although it is quite obvious that we can take our mind and we can fill it with all kinds of things. We can believe that we're a place where we are not. That we are a thing, that we are not. We can believe that someone is not our brother or our sister. We can think that they're our enemy. We can think that they need to be punished. We can think that we must hold their behavior against them. That we must be vigilant. Vigilant. <laughs> vigilant. <laughs> we Texas boys, uh, we, we stumble over that. But we, we think of vigilantes and it just brings terror in our heart. Desperados. I love that word. Okay. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. <laughs> what you don't want to do is to use your mind to acquire, to manipulate. For the better car that you try to use your mind to acquire will be better for how long? The better house will be better for how long? The better body that you work so hard to get at the spa will be better how long? Just get the flu for too long a period of time and the body's gone. <laughs> that is the unhappy use of the mind. To acquire, to change. To get into some slugging match with some aspect of the world. That's what makes us unhappy. That's what you don't want a part of your religion in the true sense of the word. Because in the true sense of the word, religion means simply the hope of peace. It is a belief in the possibility of joining with one other person. Not in some sort of mad, passionate, romantic thing, but true joining where the heart's beat is one between a parent and a child. Between a child who has forgiven his or her parents, between two friends, between two nations, the possibility that the hearts can beat as one. That is true religion. That is true spirituality. It is possible to awake fully without ever once using the word God. And that's why the song this morning had all those wonderful references to uh, Krishna and Allah and Buddha and Jesus and so forth. And then ended with a theme that we're one family. 
that we're one. To have the hope of that possibility is religion. It is spirituality, but it requires no religious terminology. It requires no particular spiritual practice. It's just a yearning that is satisfied in the present. A yearning to see people as innocent. To look with the eyes of gentleness. To look softly. To accept over and over and over again. To accept what someone else's views on health food are. To accept your history. To accept the outcome of the primaries. To accept whatever is happening. To accept it not because you pronounce it good or bad or in any way judge it. But that you look gently on it. And perhaps you laugh gently, but it's a gentle, gentle laughter that harms no one, that ridicules nothing. And so when it comes to our exasperating friends, it is not necessary to see your friend as some glowing being of light. You probably are not going to be able to do that. I can't do that, and it's merely an attempt to trick ourselves to perform some sort of fancy footwork. Did you know I took uh, tap dancing once? <laughs> Never tell you that story? <clears throat> I was a real estate broker in Dallas, Texas. It's true. All the dirty linens coming out now. And... Uh, I used to, I don't know, I'd always had a craving to learn how to tap dance. And there was a ballet school for little girls <clears throat> next to my real estate brokerage. <laughs> we managed high rises and uh, we were members of multiple listing. But at noon, I would sneak off and up in the attic, because they were so embarrassed to have a man come in there that they snuck me up into the attic, and these two dear women taught me to tap dance. <clears throat> and that's what you do. Well, you see how we work these things in. <laughs> that's what you do if you try to see someone as a light <clears throat> or as... Christ or something like that. It's not that you don't say the words. It's not <clears throat> that the words cannot bring a deep comfort to your heart and give you a sense of oneness. But don't expect some outward results. Don't think that you have to have some special feeling because you have done your work. You've done your spiritual work, your prayer work, your affirmation or whatever the thing may be. Because remember, you can awake fully without ever using one spiritual term, reading one spiritual book, doing one moment of what you now call meditation or anything else. Because the way home is the way of kindness and gentleness. And there are people who are very, very far along, who are nothing but 
simple, kind, gentle people. And they are so close to God that their ego almost does not exist any longer. And they don't go to church and they don't say the right words and they don't believe in this and they don't believe in that. But they know that they want to be good, that they want to be kind, that they want to give, that they want to help, that they don't want to condemn. That is the spirit of Christ, not the words, not the formalities. And you're merely sneaking off to the attic and tap dancing when you try to see someone as some sort of special kind of thing. All you want is a feeling of oneness, or at least a relaxation of any sense of guilt, cherishing guilt. So you don't even wish to use your mind to acquire that, to acquire the ability to see auras, or to be a primo healer, <clears throat> or to wear a pad and levitate. I love that, you know. The people who are loving or learning to levitate have to wear pads because they have a hard landing. <laughs> <clears throat> this should be an indication of something. <laughs> it's fine, of course. It's perfectly innocent. And in fact, it could be used well. It could be used in a very good way to do any of these things. But don't want it. Don't want anything in the world except to be good and kind and gentle and forgiving. And then if it helps to uh, take levitation lessons, then take levitation lessons and enjoy it. So let's have a little meditation now. What I'm going to ask you to do, since we're going to be talking about friends, especially exhausting friends, or mildly irritating friends, or hateful friends, is I want you to think of one such friend. Anyone who comes to your mind is... I'm sure a fine subject. Now, anything's okay. Any words, any game, any imagery, anything that you wish to do that softens your heart a little bit, not perfectly, that makes you a little bit more understanding, that rids you of the hardness the sharpness, the cutting edge of your attitude that dulls the blade just a little bit is good. Anything, anything, any trick, anything. So judge the practice by the effect on your heart. Does it soften you a little bit towards this one? Does it make you a little happier? This is the way you will know you have practiced forgiveness is that you are a little happier after. Because to forgive simply means to be willing to be happier.
because no one can be happy while cherishing a grudge, while thinking that their brother or sister needs punishment. So take this person now, whoever, hold them before you. Look first of all at their body. What are the good features, so-called? What are the bad features, so-called? As you judge it, as you see them. What are their physical faults? What are their physical attributes? Look now at their posture, their mannerisms. Do they peer over you as they speak to you? Or perhaps there is something that you don't like about the way they grovel. Or perhaps they speak too loudly or too softly. Just look at that for a moment. And then look at their personality. What are the characteristics? And then look at what they have done. What have they done? Have they been selfish? Have they been careless? Have they betrayed? Have they simply been dumb? And now, here's the fantasy. Go back and imagine this person's childhood. Just imagine. Imagine the genes that gave the body. Imagine the mannerisms that form the mannerisms. Imagine the experiences that form the personality. Do not try to get this accurately. This is a fantasy. You're not trying to second guess, and this is not retrocognition. <laughs> what you're trying to do here is simply to have a fantasy that makes you a little happier for having had it. Something happened to form this personality. Something happened that made it inevitable that this person be the way they are at this time. They will not be this way in a year. They will be quite different in 10 years. They will be unrecognizable, perhaps, in 20. But now, they are certainly living out the direction in which they were pushed as a child. In what direction might they have been pushed? What experiences might they have had that would account for this behavior that you hold against them, perhaps? these mannerisms. And so I'll be silent now and allow yourself to conjure up anything that could have caused it. Don't ask yourself, did it, because you're not in a position, and no one is, to know what could have caused it, what might have happened. What might have happened that you would say, this is completely forgivable. 
They couldn't act any other way at this particular time. So I'll be quiet now and just have that fantasy about this person. Any trick, anything. Okay, of course it's understandable. Of course if you could go back and see everything this person went through, of course you would forgive them instantly. To understand all is to forgive all. The mistake we make is we think that we're supposed to understand more in order to forgive. To understand all is to forgive all if you can understand all. But no one can understand all. And so to try to understand better is usually a hopeless task. So to try to tell yourself that you can understand why they acted the way they did is expecting too much of yourself. You cannot understand why they did what they did, but you can understand how anyone could do almost anything, couldn't you? When you go back and look what people go through. So that's just one way, one of a thousand, ten thousand, a million ways to forgive, a little. All we have to do is to forgive a little. It's like chipping away at a stone, a stone that is in our heart that blocks the door to our happiness. We chip away every time the person comes to our thought, every time we're working at some task in the house, and there's this suddenly this little grievance, this old, old grievance of something that happened 20 years ago, perhaps, or that just recently happened. And so what do we do? We chip away just a little. It seems like a hard, hard rock. It seems like something that will never give away. But it stays there only as long as we wish for it to. Whenever we are finding it hard to let go of irritation, our anger, our grievance, or what someone just said, what someone just did, it's because we very simply do not want to let go of it. We want the evidence of the guilt. So although it seems like there is this grievance, this grudge, this hatred, this justified anger, this damage done to us, the fact is it can be let go of quickly and easily if you wish to let go of it. It can be let go of in an instant. Let's do one more little imagery here. Perhaps you will see how quickly something can be let go of with this, this imagery. Please take another person. Or if you, you can take that person if you feel like this person really needs the work. <laughs> <laughs> so close your eyes now. Forgiveness is the willingness to relax and be happy. That's all it is. See for yourself that it does not hurt you to do this kind of thing. This is not like going out and uh, chainsawing trees or something. Picking cotton. This is a gentle, happy work. So let your body relax. This is going to be enjoyable. 
Take the person now. Do the same things that you did before. See them standing before you. See them quite vividly. What might they have on? What do they typically wear? See them as they typically are in some very common posture, conversation, whatever. Add to it this thing that happened or this thing the person failed to do. Do not be afraid to look at your unforgiveness. If you think that you have no unforgiveness, I can tell you from experience that you're merely being dishonest. It is not possible to have an ego without some judgment. And so, of course, we have judgments against everyone. All you're doing is seeing what judgments you have against this person. What criticism? What might they improve? What do they need to hear? And so now we will do a more religious imagery. It's one we've done before. Turn your thought now away from this person, set them aside, and think of some place that you have seen the light of God recently. Was it in the laughter of a child? Was it in the kindness? Did someone rush out and grab a puppy and keep it from being run over? Was someone especially nice to you in a store? Did you see a particular kindness extended, yea, even in a bank? Where have you seen gentleness? Where have you seen kindness? Where have you seen thoughtfulness? And now notice that a little light came into your mind when you turned your thought toward light. Take that light and mold it into a garment of light. Make it into a cape or a robe or anything that you wish. (coughs) This little bit of light and drape it now around this person you are thinking of. So bring them back and cover them with it. Cover them with your light, your cape of light. Just rest it gently upon their shoulders. It doesn't matter whether they know it's there. This is your blessing. This is your effort. And now see standing behind this person a being of light. Jesus, perhaps. A shining, gentle, all-forgiving, perfectly pure being of light standing behind this one. And watch now as this being of perfect light walks into this person. Let them walk in. Let them fill the heart and the mind and see this person relax as they are forgiven. See the weight of judgment lifted from this person 
and they relax because they know they are innocent. They feel it now from deep within them. The innocence of your light is on them, and the light of Christ fills them. John has been has started talking dirty. John will be five years old very shortly. He's come up with words like tissue. I, I, we couldn't figure out why tissue was so hilariously funny to John. But then we uh, realized it must have come from, the, uh, from an ad. Uh, it took me a while to get the connection. Uh, but there are other words which I won't use. Uh, being a minister. And uh, so we've simply made a rule that he's not to do this because it makes people uncomfortable. We've said there's nothing wrong with these words. It's not this bad or you're a bad person or anyone who uses them is bad. But these particular words make people uncomfortable and you don't want to make people uncomfortable. You want people to be happy. And so don't jolt them by using these words. He says, what does jolt mean? <laughs> so he has found other ways to bring the words into his conversation. <laughs> One of them is, guess what Jordan just said? Jordan is uh, six months old. <laughs> he comes running into the room. Jordan evidently was a sailor in his landline. <laughs> And knows better than to ever say one of these words around us. <laughs> he doesn't even say dada. <laughs> well, John made a little cardboard man the other day that he was so proud of. He just he cut the cardboard man out and he pasted little red shoes on. He had little ears he pasted on and everything. And then he has one of these little stamp machines, you know, that you stamp out on the plastic. You can stamp out one letter at a time. People put them on their mailboxes and stuff like that. Poo-poo man. <laughs> well, he couldn't help it. He just said, that's just the name of the man. I can't help it. <laughs> he also typed out 176 as it was the man's number. That seemed very obvious to him that the man had to have a number. I just don't know what the significance of that is. But John just loves this little paper man that he made. And that is exactly the way we are with our ego. We just poo-poo man. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, we won't be chauvinistic. Poo-poo woman. Now, yeah. um, and that's the way we are with our ego. We made our ego. We made our little personality. We decided that this experience would have this effect on us and that experience would have that effect on us and so forth. And that we would keep this personality trait, this other personality trait we'd let go of immediately, but this one we're going to say, oh, we have such a hard time overcoming that. And so forth. So we've got this little personality, this little self-image, this way we are with our little opinions on everything and our little preferences about what foods we like and where we have to sit and how people have to behave 
and what gets us upset and what we just like so much. And we have this whole little definition of ourselves and it's very, very hard. At least it seems so. And because we made it, we dearly love it. This is what must be understood. We dearly love our ego, our imaginary identity, just as we loved our imaginary playmate in the beginning. Those of you who can remember having had an imaginary playmate, remember how much you loved your imaginary playmate. It was only after you began to see the shallowness of the imaginary playmate that it had nothing within it to love you and welcome you and enrich you, that there wasn't anything there you could join with, that it began to lose its luster. And the same is true of the ego. For so many of you now, the little identity in the world that you have made has begun to lose its luster. Do not make the mistake of going to the other extreme and begin hating it. Because that attachment is equally as forceful as the so-called love. We neither love it nor hate it. We simply gently let it go and assume our real identity, which is the gentleness in our heart. It's the peace that we feel. It's the yearning to be good. It is that part of us that can join with anyone because this other cannot. I just love it when on television or something they they single someone out for an award or a conversation or something and they say, this is indeed a very special person. A very common term. But do you see how difficult it is to join with a very special person? It's very difficult to feel a brotherhood, a oneness with a very special person. And yet we think we want to be this very special person. In the little bit of recognition that I have received as an author, I can tell you that it now pains me as much to receive the recognition as it does to receive criticism. And before it seemed exciting to have someone come up in a restaurant and recognize me. And now I see the absolute wall that puts it puts between me and this person. You cannot join with someone who puts you on a pedestal. So it's not that you want either the so-called good side of it or the bad side of it. You want no part of it. You wish to be one with others. You wish to feel this oneness. All of you have felt it. There is no limit to it. But to try to be special, especially hateful, or especially adorable, as all of you are, throws up this screen. And the person is relating to something. And you are left out of it. What you wish to say is. To this person. That you have not forgiven. To the person that just. 
did something or said something or looked a certain way, what you want to say to them is, my ego is no better than yours. Now that will stick in your throat. Because you won't really believe it. We really do think because we've made our ego, it's better. We know the little qualities that we put into it. We've got this cute little laugh. And what else have we got? We've got a temper on the right occasion that gets things done, by golly. And what? Oh, we can cook chili con carne. Nobody can cook. As a matter of fact, if someone even brings up chili con carne at a party, we bridle. Because they are claiming an encroachment upon our specialness. You see? So we know all the wonderful things that we have. And we love it. And so we just look at the love that we have for our ego. Look at the love we have for our differences. Look at the love we have for our opinions and for our rights that we lash out and hurt people over time and time again. You're infringing. You're stepping on my rights. Our rights have very long toes. (laughs) Now, Thank you. That is an introduction to a new segment, ladies and gentlemen, called Hughes Helpful Hints. Our piano player had to leave earlier. John sounds better than that on the tapes. I want you to know he's a very good. Thank you, John. All right. All right, so now we're just going to talk about the nuts and bolts, the game plan. I can run for president, too. Um, so here are the things to do. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about our yearning to forgive. We've talked about how much we love the things that keep us from forgiving. Now let's just talk about sort of the everyday mundane things that get in the way. What are the little rules of thumb? Not the sacred rules, not the perfect rules, not the divine rules, but the little things that we do every day that gets in the way of our relationships with other people, that causes these uncomfortable feelings, this feeling of estrangement that is so common. We think this is the way life has to be that we feel slightly estranged, slightly misunderstood, slightly different than everybody, slightly lonely. We think this is the way it must be. We think we have to judge other people. We can't help it that they're just nincompoops. (laughs) We think we have to do that. So how does this manifest itself? How does this crop up? How does this show up in the little everyday things we do? And that's why we have Hughes' helpful hints. The first one. We think that there is nothing else we can do but discuss everything in the world with our friends or with our older child or with our spouse. We really think that there are all these issues, that there are all these problems out there. And, of course, there are. The mistake we make is thinking that there are some places where there aren't any problems. 
or that there's some problems that are greater than others. That's the mistake we make. If we really saw that the world was nothing but problems, then there would be a deep relaxation. <laughs> we would stop trying to change what is so fruitless and so barren a ground for our work. The simple fact is that within the world, we have a problem. Today, we have a problem. We could go throughout here. Everybody would have a problem. It may be a little problem. It may be a big problem. But everybody would have a problem. And what everybody would think on an ego level, what I think on an ego level is, as soon as I get rid of this problem, it's going to be a lot better. But do you know what it will be? It will be another problem. That's what it will be. Another problem. And then you will work hard on that problem. You'll take your stand and you will know the right way to do it. And you will discuss with your friends this problem. And they won't see it the same way you will because their ego is different. And all discussion comes from the ego. And somehow you will get over that problem. And then do you know what there will be? Another problem. Do you see what you have forward? Yes, you have to look forward to. Another problem, and another problem, and another problem. Now you've heard me say that many times at the dispensable church. But this is all that you have forward have to look forward to, is another problem. But let's look at how they crop up. And one of the central ways that these problems crop up is that we think that the only way we can resolve things is through discussion, through talking about them. And so if you will learn to overhear yourself, you will find out very quickly that you have a stand on anything that comes up should the car be taken in. Should, oh, Gail and I were, uh, we came up with a new one, driving along in a car. As you know, we're getting our house ready to sell and so forth. Brand new problem. What if it sells too soon? We had never thought of that. We had 10 minutes of all the ramifications. Well, but what if the people wouldn't take a delayed possession date? What are we going to do? Well, we'd have to. We'd have to rent someplace. Well, where would we rent? And this was very serious. <clears throat> and then we caught ourselves. Now, here's the simple fact, and this is very hard to incorporate into our lives. It's very hard to get a handle on this and get a feeling for this. But there is a way out of this. People really do not think that there's anything to do but to discuss everything endlessly. Everything. And almost most conversations, especially between people who are good friends or are living together or something like that, is about these little problems. Now, in the first blush of friendship or of romantic love, there is a purpose that overrides this, which is, I want you to like me, and so we defer to the other person's opinion, and that does resolve all the little issues. But after a while, we have them as a friend or we have them as a spouse or whatever. And 
we don't have that goal anymore. And so then we begin voicing our view on the thing. And this is where the feeling of estrangement comes in. Notice that whenever anything is discussed, there is this residue of estrangement afterwards. You feel different than the other person. Because the evidence for the last minute, two minutes, whatever it's been, is that you are different. You can see instinctively that they do look at this differently than you do. Even if you agree with them, even if you defer to their opinion, you have seen the difference and you do not feel one with this person. You do not feel that this is your brother or your sister. Your hearts do not beat as one. There isn't this peace there isn't this hush. There isn't this quietness. There isn't this sense of all is well. We are one. We will never leave each other ever, ever, ever. There isn't that sense. There's the sense of difference. But what are you to do? What am I to do? Because the whole world is based on this endless discussion of problems, not realizing that this simply drives more wedges between people. Is there any grounds for agreement? Of course there is. It is in, in the peace in your heart. If you will become peaceful, you will see that there is no difference, there is no disagreement, even on this issue. There is none. Now, of course, many people will not pause with you because one of the central rules, if you're on a spiritual path, and if you have a friend who's on a spiritual path, one of the central rules is, if an issue has come up, sit down. Don't discuss it while you're driving the car. Don't discuss it while you're doing the dishes. Don't discuss it while you're making the food or anything else. But just sit down, close your eyes, and look in your heart. And when the two people touch their peace, they open their eyes, and either one of them doesn't care anymore, truly doesn't care anymore, and isn't just saying they don't care anymore, or they both see it the same way, or they both have thought of so many wonderful alternatives that are wonderful to the other person, that the thing has been resolved. It dissolved in the peace. This little lake of peace that rests so quietly and gently in your heart take anything to it, it dissolves it all into more peace. But so many people don't know that. So many of your friends and my friends would think we were absolutely, well, they know we're crazy. But they would be able to have more evidence to give to other people about craziness. <laughs> if we were to say, let's don't discuss that. Why don't we just sit and be peaceful and see what we want to do? It would be, they'd be looking at us from the sides of their eyes, do you see? Uh-huh. Well, uh, gosh, you know, I think I... Oh, I've got this appointment. <laughs> they would edge away, they'd back away. So, of course, you don't do this with someone. So what do you do with someone who won't sit down with you in peace? And that is, you don't get caught up in the issue. You don't get your heart involved in the issue. You listen to it in a lazy manner, not in an intense manner. You remind yourself that this is not truly important. What's important is that you wish to walk home. You wish to see all people as your brother and sister. 
And you wish to do that now. In this situation. And so you touch your peace. And you have no opinion. It's not that you don't engage in the conversation. But it's that you take no hard stand. You give no evidence of your difference from your brother or your sister. Your function is not to present evidence to their heart and their mind that they are different, that no one agrees with them, that they will never have a friend. Your function is to be so peaceful and so gentle, or at least as much as you can, that they feel from you that your love for them outweighs this. It outweighs the political consideration. Or the candidate that will be backed. Or the latest remedy for a flu. Or anything else that has come up. They feel that your love for them is the most important thing on this occasion. And then talk to them about it. And what you say will be gentle. You don't advise them. You don't point out that they shouldn't be taking a stand. You talk gently and as their friend. And this is difficult. It takes practice. But afterwards, you will feel closer. And you will have taken a step near your true home. Let me end with this. God has invited you to a slideshow. Have you ever been to a slideshow? of home slides, the slides of our latest vacation. Now, if you want a place to practice being non-judgmental, <laughs> accept the next invitation. <laughs> the, the family standing there by the car, and off in the distance, you can barely see the Matterhorn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. God has invited you to a slideshow. He's invited us all to a slideshow. Now I want you to close your eyes and see what the slideshow is. It's very interesting that, but my life and your life consists of only so many slides. And these same slides have been coming up over and over again for how many years? For over 45, if you're in the golden years like me. For 14 years, 30 years, however many years. Do you see now the same slides coming up over and over again? These situations that you have not forgiven. These circumstances that you have not forgiven. What the world is doing that you have not forgiven. Not that you pronounce it good, 
but that your heart is so tied up in it that you can't be kind, you can't be present, because the issue has become more important than the people who are crying out to you all around you now. What are the slides? Slides about food. Slides about sleeping at night. Slides about what kind of car you have to drive. Slides about how you have to look before you leave the house. Slides about how your possessions have to be protected. Slides about how much you have to have in the bank. And you never have that much in the bank. Do you see the slides coming up over and over again? What are they? You can already see some of them, can't you? The same slides. God has invited you and me to a slideshow. And here's how it works. Every day there will be a few slides. And God will say, are you ready to forgive any of these today? And if so, God says, whoopee, throws the slide away. (laughs) That's true. But if you're not ready to forgive the slide, he simply puts it back. She puts it back. It puts it back. And then it'll come up again. And I'll keep coming up until you say, Yes, Father, I'm ready to forgive this today. It is not important. My brother and my sister is more important than this. My love of you is more important than this. The peace of God is more important than this. So see now if there is a slide or two that you can now say that with. Anything at all that you can forgive. Anything at all that you can now see once and for all is not important. 